We're in a series as we walk through the book of Jonah. We're in Jonah chapter 2, and uh, we're talking about this idea of why we choose to run from God. Uh, we're acknowledging on the front that all of us are runners like Jonah, that all of us have these moments where we know what we're called to do, but we don't want to do it. We know that we're supposed to go out on mission somewhere. We know that we're supposed to love and serve someone. We know that we're supposed to be generous. But in our hearts, we can't generate the momentum to get us to move to where God wants us to go. And last week, we opened with Jonah chapter 1. And we talked about what's happening beneath the surface in Jonah's life in chapter 1 is there's fear. Uh, and, and one of the things that we've always done when we train folks through discipleship is to help people name what's the bad news that you're believing and what's the good news that's true. Uh, and so in all of these moments when we're walking through these specific situations, when we're walking through our life, when we feel God's leading or calling, there is bad news at work. There are lies, right? Scripture tells us that there is an enemy and that he's a deceiver and that he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's always at work to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's always working and throwing this bad news at us over and over and over again. And so for Jonah, the bad news of, of chapter one was fear. And his fear was not that he was afraid that God wouldn't work. He was afraid that God actually would work. And the bad news that was at work was, I can't trust him. I can't trust God. Uh, he's asked me to do something that's difficult. He's asked me to do something hard. He's asked me to step into a space where I'm not quite sure how it's going to turn out. And, and, and the lie that we believe is that I can't trust him in those spaces, is that I have to have everything figured out. I got to have the 10-year plan. I got to know all the steps along the way. And so in, because of his fear, Jonah runs and he, he, we showed the map last week. Remember, he didn't just run a little bit. He ran all the way, 1,500 miles away. And in the middle of that running, there's a storm. The folks on the ship are all saying, what's going on? Uh, there's something bad happening here. They throw Jonah overboard, and Jonah gets swallowed by what the book of Jonah says was a giant fish. Now, I, I recognize this, that it's difficult to read the book of Jonah and not pay attention to the elephant in the room, which is, do you really want me to believe that this guy lived in the belly of a big fish for three days? And I want you to know a couple things. One is the fish is only mentioned three times, right? It's this, the fish is a subplot in the story. It's not that big of a deal. Um, secondly, I, I think we need to talk about genre for just a minute. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because not all of you are Bible professors and some of you, like, you just don't care about any of this stuff. Um, but some of you, this really matters to. And, and so uh, I want to avoid a long conversation here, but I, I think we have to understand that when we read Scripture, there are different types of genre of Scriptures, All right? So when Paul is writing, he's writing a letter to specific people, to a specific church or a specific community or a specific group of churches. And we have to understand that when we read this, we're, we're reading somebody's correspondence. That's what we're reading. Uh, there's, there's other moments where we have the Gospels, which is the story of Jesus. We have the Psalms, which are poetic and songs. They're actually worship songs, like what we just sang that are put into print. Uh, they're prayers. They're all of these things. There is poetic language in, in Scripture. Um, there is a, apocalyptic literature, which is just like the revelations, the end times. There's all of these different types 
of genre. And, and, and so many of you in the room are struggling with like, you really want me to believe, Pastor, that this guy lived in a fish for three days? I, I don't know. Nobody likes it when the pastor says, I don't know. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't know if this is a literal story of a literal fish. I think it could happen, right? Could we all just agree like crazy? Thing? Like I could imagine turning on the news and there's some crazy story of some person that was in a fish. Like it's plausible. Or if this is just a story for us to understand. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. There was a sweet old woman in, in a church that I attended in the past and um, she was wrestling through this very question and, and she was arguing with a guy, and the guy was like, I can't believe in God. There's no way I can believe in God because I can't believe that someone lived in the belly of a fish for three days. And I'm like, well, there's more outrageous things than that in the Bible if you actually read the whole thing. Uh, But this is what this guy was arguing with this woman, and she wanted to like, no, it's a literal story. It has to, you have to understand it's a literal story. And so they they argued and argued and argued, and finally this sweet old woman um, looked at him and said, I don't know, but when I get to heaven, I'll figure it out. I'll ask Jonah. And the guy said to her, well, what if Jonah went to hell? And this sweet old woman looked at him and said, well, you can ask him then. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can get caught up in the wrong things sometimes. I think we can get caught up and worried about the wrong things. Here's what I want you to do. If, If the fish thing is getting you, just look at the story and ask this question. God, what do you want to teach me in this story? We talked last week about an interpretive lens that's really simple, and the interpretive lens is, what does this story teach us about God, and what does this story teach us about us? What does this teach us about humanity? Um, what we do know about this is that chapter two is just a prayer. It's just very simply Jonah saying a prayer, and in this prayer, we get a glimpse of Jonah's darkest hour. We get the dark night of his soul. We get the hardest moment of his life, and we get to hear his recorded prayers. He's run from God. He's, he's been swallowed by a giant fish. He's sitting in that fish for three days. Now, I've never sat inside a fish. I don't think any of us have. I'm guessing it's unpleasant. Are you with me? Right? I'm guessing it's like there's some conversation about weeds in the prayer, right? There's, there's some gross stuff in the fish. I, I would imagine the smell's not terrific. Anybody with me? I just, I, I've smelled a fish before, so I'm guessing inside of a fish is worse than the outside. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's a very, very unpleasant experience. Um, and this is written after, right? So Jonah didn't have a pen in there and just start drawing some things out. This is written after. It's written in past tense, and he, after he's spit out of the whale, he writes this prayer. And here's what it says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and he heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet shall I look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This is very much like what kind of literature? This is what we find in the Psalms, right? 
This is exactly what we would see in the Psalms. In fact, in that small portion of scripture that I just read to you, Jonah quoted the Psalms eight times in that passage. So what Jonah is doing is he's walking through these things and he's naming all of these things that he needs to remember. He's not claiming scripture because he's reminding God. He's claiming scripture because he's reminding himself. And in the Psalms, there are often these parts where the Psalms build into this like everything is bad, everything is falling apart, everything is no good, everything stinks. God, why did you do this? God, why do you hate me? God, why are my enemies so big? God, why is everything falling apart? God, why is, and there's this big list of all of these different things. And then in the Psalms, there's this moment, and we call it a but God moment, where the psalmist is like, wallowing in their despair and in their sorrow. They are in the belly of, of, the, of the fish. They're, they're crying out. They're saying, nothing's going right, God. And then there's this moment, but I lifted my eyes. But then I remembered. But then I saw. But I was reminded of your faithfulness. I was reminded of your grace and your mercy and your kindness. And here's the challenge for all of us. Sometimes we need to sit in the belly of the whale to see the way. And we are not a good culture at slowing down and being self-reflective. And when's the last time you were just wandering around somewhere and you had a quiet moment and you didn't grab your phone? Right? I, I, just, I noticed this. I was in line the other day, and it was a long line. I was waiting. I don't even remember what I was waiting for. I was waiting for something, and this long line was there, and every single person that came to the line did the same thing. They walked into the line... They noticed it's a long line. There was a moment of semi-disgust and frustration because how dare we wait for anything? This is America, right? There's this moment of semi-frustration and then everybody within three minutes reached into their pocket, pulled out their phone and started playing bejeweled or I don't, I don't know, I didn't even know what the games are anymore. Started doing something on their phone. We, we're not good at these self-reflective moments. We're not good at slowing down. We're not good at quieting ourselves. We're not actually good at evaluating our own behavior and our own actions. We don't like to look beneath the surface of our motives and motivations, and we don't like to quiet ourselves sometimes because we're afraid of what we would find in the quiet. Listen to the trajectory of Jonah so far. Jonah went down to Jaffa. Jonah went down to the bottom of the ship to take a nap. Jonah went down into the water off the boat, and Jonah went down into the depths. Disobedience always spirals us downward. Repentance always focuses our hearts on what's true. Disobedience becomes this spiral that keeps taking us deeper and deeper into our own frustration, into our own troubles, into our own problems, and we keep creating more and more problems because we're unwilling to obey what the Father's asking us to do. And the question we need to ask is, will we actually allow ourselves to sit in our sorrow? Will we actually allow ourselves to sit in our weakness, to sit in our brokenness, to sit in our hurt, to sit in these spaces where there is self-reflection that needs to happen? Think of that moment in your life when the trajectory was nothing but down, where it felt like every decision that you made, every choice that you made, every turn that you made just dug you deeper into a hole of trouble and of sorrow. And sometimes we can't see God in those moments. 
Sometimes when we're in the belly of the whale, it's difficult to have any kind of perspective. Everything's spiraling, everything's difficult, everything's challenging, and we cannot see the way, and we cannot see the hope, and we cannot see that God is moving and working in this present moment. Sometimes we only get perspective on the other side of our pain. But what Jonah is doing is he's looking back to see God. And he's not pretending that bad things aren't happened. This, like, I, I don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't think that we as Christians need to come in and pretend like everything is great when it's not. I think God can handle our frustrations. I think God can handle our challenges. I think God can handle the fact that there are times when we're irritated with him and that we're frustrated with him and that we've prayed for something for years and it hasn't happened. And I think we can say to God, I don't understand And Jonah is saying this, I don't understand why I'm in the belly of the whale. I don't understand why I'm down here with the weeds wrapped around me. Well, it's easy to understand, Jonah. You made all these choices. Sometimes a fish doesn't seem like a second chance, but in reality it was. Sometimes a fish doesn't seem like grace, but when we look back, we see the grace. And sometimes the pain and the sorrow and the brokenness and the hurt And the downward spiral of our own life does not feel like grace until we get past it. And then we start to see healing. And then we start to see God's movement and God's working. And then we start to see there was grace in it. And we start to see you were with me all along. It says, here's the turning point. Here's the but God. Verse 6. Yet you brought me up from my life from the pit. Downward, 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 downward. Everything's down, right? Every direction that it talks about, Jonah going is downward. And then he says, but you brought me up. Oh, my Lord God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regards to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Can you hear the repentance there? Jonah is like, I, I, there's all, been all this pain, there's been all this frustration, there's been all this, this is, I'm not in a good place right now, God. But I vow, with a voice of thanksgiving, I, I'm gonna sacrifice to you. And there's real repentance that comes out of his sorrow and his pain. And then verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on dry land. You remember studying this when you were a kid? Do you remember we had the felt board? Anybody else have the felt board or is that just me? There's, there's a certain generation. Raise your hand if you're a felt board person. These are holy wise people. They have learned so many good lessons because of the felt board, right? If you're not of the felt board generation and you grew up with the internet and phones and those kinds of things, I feel really bad for you um, because what we used to do is there was just a little board it was made of felt, and there was little things that you would stick on it. And it, when we told these stories when we were kids, this sounded like such a fun little story. You remember this? There's like, a, here's a little whale, and here's Jonah, and he swallows him. And, and you, you had this imagination of like, then we sing a song, right? I, there was always felt boards in a song, right? And the song was always like just a happy Jonah was in the whale, it was great, it was great, it was great, it was great. He was in the whale, God is good. Like it was, that was the kind of songs. Um, I made that up on the spot just there also. So if anybody, I know Douglas writes some music, but if anybody's looking for 
some children's hymns, I got you. Um, it, it felt like this such a happy, like, amazing fun. It's a fun little story. Jonah's having a great time. This is terrible. This guy is drowning. It's this, his prayer says, I've got weeds wrapped around me. He keeps, the fish doesn't like go up and just like give him a breather. The fish just keeps going down into the water. He's drowning in this for three days. He's drowning for three days. He's drowning over and over again. All of these terrible things happen. And, and here's the truth that we learn from Jonah's valley moment. It's that transformation often requires diving through the deep. It's not fun. And it's not easy. And to be honest, I would rather tell you guys a different story from the Bible today. But the truth is, there's times when we experience really great pain and really severe hurt. And things don't go the way that we would like them to. And it hurts. And it's hard. But sometimes he loves us enough to send a whale. Sometimes he loves us enough to let us go through the pain and the sorrow and the hurt and the brokenness so that we can experience his goodness. And in this prayer, this is Jonah's darkest moment. This is him crying out to God. And all of us have had those moments. If we look back, we can all reflect on that moment. And our prayer in those moments is, God, get us out of here. Get me through this. I want to get through this as quickly as possible. I want to get around this. I want to get out of this place. We want our pain gone. We want our plans back on track. But the beautiful thing about God's mercy is that he continues to send the whale. And he invites us to stay in those spaces even when it hurts. God doesn't want to just take away our pain and make us happy. He wants to transform us into the people he's called us to be. And for some of us, this is a little weird. And for some of us, this passage, this whole chapter is really, really difficult because we don't like to think of God like that. We don't like to think of God as the God who would take a disobedient prophet and throw him to the depths of death in the bottom of the sea. And just like Jonah couldn't wrap his head around this, for some of us, this is really hard. Allie wrote this this week, and I want to read it. It says, but the truth is that God would rather bring you through the belly of the whale than leave you behind. He would rather throw you through the fire than watch you sit in stagnation. Our God is a God that would rather refine us and wrestle with the hard-hearted than pick anybody else. He doesn't give up on us. And God's grace and mercy does not stop when our obedience does. It's a wild grace that chases us and pursues us. And when necessary, God's grace will throw us into our darkest season just to bring us into the fullness of life with him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11 says this, Endure hardship as discipline, for God is treating you as his child. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons or daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while and though they thought was best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. For no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it, proves, it produces a harvest of righteousness and a peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, I, I, I want you to understand this clearly. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying because I believe that there are certain ways that this is preached that's actually really harmful. God is not vindictive. 
He's not resentful. He's not waiting to punish. He's a father who loves his kids. When my kids were little, we lived in Ohio, and we had a fire pit in our backyard. It was one of my favorite spots about our, our, our space. In Ohio, it's always cold, so the fire pit is used often. Um, I was very grateful to live in Atlanta yesterday. It was snowing in Ohio. Um, praise God, from whom all blessings flow, that I'm here. Um, but we had this really cool fire pit. There's some rocks, and you kind of sit around it. And our kids were little, and my oldest, who's now in college, was uh, he loved the fire a little bit too much. You know that kid that you're, like, afraid that they love the fire so much that they're going to burn things down in the future? That was Cole. Uh, he would throw everything in the fire, right? It just every possession he owned, anything he found in the yard, like his sister and brother's toys, like whatever he would find, he just would throw it in the fire. And there were always these discussions about the fire. And it was, hey, Cole, stay back. Stop throwing stuff in there. Don't put a stick in the fire and carry it around like a torch in the yard. Like, stop, 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 stop. And then there was a moment, almost every time we had friends over or people over, where I would have to say, you are not allowed to be by the fire anymore. Just go Anywhere other than here, right? There's a trampoline over there. Go jump on that. There is an indoors in there. Go in there. You cannot be around here because you are going to burn yourself or someone else. When I did this, I'm not, I wasn't angry with him. I, I was probably a little irritated. But I was protecting him, right? I, I didn't want him to fall in the fire, I didn't want him to experience burns. I didn't want him to burn another child from the neighborhood. Like, I didn't want any of these things to happen. This is the way the Lord looks at us. Is there's times where he's like, you got to get away from the fire. And I'm going to move you away from the fire, whether you like it or not. And I'm going to send a whale. And I don't want to minimize the belly of your whale. I recognize that in this room, there are people who have gone through unspeakable pain and unspeakable sorrow and unspeakable hurt, and I'm greatly sorry that that's happened. But the thing that I can tell you is that God is with you in those moments and that he's working. The world is hard, and all of us go through things we don't want to speak about at dinner parties. And all of us have these moments where we're in the belly of the whale, Romans 2.4 says this, you didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he would let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In his kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical life change. That's from the message. God is kind, but he's not soft. And he takes us by the hand. I love that. Firmly by the hand. Remember taking your kids firmly by the hand? Like, hey, no, we are going this way. We are not running around in the, in the store right now. We are not playing hide and seek at Home Depot. Like, whatever you want to do right now, I am taking you firmly by the hand, and I'm taking you to a place that's safe because I want that radical life change. Other versions of this says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. This is kindness. And sometimes when we're in the belly, it's hard to see that it actually was kindness, that there were good things happening. Uh, every good leader knows this kind of principle of push and pull. If you're leading uh, a, a team or managing a team, there's moments when you have to push that team. 
right? There's moments when you have to challenge them. There's moments when you have to bring hard truth. There's moments when you have to push that person towards their best self. The same thing is true of parenting, right? Every parent understands this. There's times when you have to just push your kid. And there's other times when you pull, you encourage, you say, come on, you can do it. Come on, follow me. Let's go. You, I, and, and, and our life is this balance of push and pull. It's this balance of I've got to push sometimes and sometimes I have to pull. I have to do all of these things. Scripture talks about how God did this perfectly. Jesus, who is the picture of God, is the image of God. He is, he is what God looks like in the flesh. John 1, 14, when it talks about Jesus becoming flesh, it says, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as glory from the only son from the father, full of what? Grace and truth, push and pull, invitation and challenge. Jesus came giving us the picture of what God is like, and God is a God who at times will push us, at times will challenge us, at times will call us to do difficult things, and at other times will show us grace and mercy and love, and we're called to be the same people in the way that we lead and in the way that we love. It's in his grace and truth. The second thing I want us to understand today is that God asks for our entire life, and he wants us to obey. I, I, I worry sometimes, guys, that we don't talk about obedience and holiness enough. I worry sometimes that we talk about a God who is always this God of grace, but never this God of truth. That we talk about this God who is always good and kind, but never asks us to do hard things or difficult things. When the reality is, there are times when God asks us to do hard things. God wants our entire life. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is what Jonah is saying in the belly of the whale when Jonah says, I will sacrifice. This is what he's talking about. I will give my life. I will give everything to you. I will follow you. I will go where you're leading. I will walk where you've asked me to walk. I now belong to you. I want to do what's right and, and it's difficult, and it's hard, and it's challenging. Dallas Willard said it this way. He said, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time to not commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. I want us to hear that. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce that fruit. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would actually make it reality. This is not going to be anybody's favorite sermon that I've preached. And it's not mine. This was hard for me this week. Because there's, every one of us has areas of our lives where we know we're walking in disobedience. There's not one person in here, the holiest of all of you. There's areas of your life where you're walking short. Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Deal Moody said this, whenever you preach of hell or whenever you preach of sin, you should do it with a tear in your eye. So I don't want to lie to you and say this is easy. I don't want to minimize the belly of your whale and the hardship that you're walking through. But I do want to tell you this. You can trust him. 
even in your fear, as Jonah experienced in chapter 1, even in your sorrow, as Jonah is experiencing here in chapter 2, you can trust him. The one thing I am fully convinced of as your pastor is that God is good. It's that God is good and that his way is better than my way and I don't always see it and I don't always understand it and I don't always have all the answers and I don't always have all figured out, but his way is greater than my way and he's proven that over and over in my life. He's been faithful over and over again. Every time I try and go my own way and do my own thing, he lovingly, firmly grasps me by the hand, throws me in the belly of a whale, brings me back on track and brings me back to repentance. And the question for us is, are we willing to walk that road? Sometimes I get worried, and I'll just say it, I get worried in our church sometimes that we prefer insight to transformation. Sometimes I think we want a revelation more than we want to change. And so we're saying to God, I need to change, God. So give me another Bible story to learn from. I need to change, God, so give me another book to read so I can get more knowledge. I need to change, God, so let me do that Enneagram test one more time. I need to change, God, so let me listen to this sermon again. I need to change, God, so let me get another prophetic word from somebody that's going to pray for me on a Sunday so that I can get another word versus I need to change, so I'm going to do the hard work that it takes to change. I'm going to look my whale in the eyes with great courage, and I'm going to say, this is hard, and this is difficult, and I don't understand, and I don't know how I'm going to get through this, and this feels like a downward spiral that's going over and over and over again, but I'm going to look to you. You are my hope. You are where my salvation comes from, and I've already given you my life as a living sacrifice, so I will do what you ask me to do even when it's hard. not a fun message. So this morning, I, as I just want to wrap up. We're going to go into a time of communion, and I, I, I genuinely, I, I, I want you to know that there's grace in the belly of the whale. And I want you to know that God is good, and I want you just to take a minute. Every time we kind of take communion, we kind of do it as a moment of reflection and of quiet, and I think sometimes we just get in a hurry to go grab the stuff, and we sit down, and by the time we do, they're already singing, and so we miss the moment of reflection. We, we carve into our service a few minutes of reflection every single week to say, what does this mean for me? Because this would be a real waste of time for me to do this every week. And for none of us to be self-reflective about it. And so as you take the juice and the bread today, I just want you to ask God, where am I running from you? Where have I chosen to go in the opposite direction? Where am I experiencing the downward spiral here? And would you rescue me? Jonah sat in the belly of that whale three days before he prayed. <laughs> For three days, he's dying, he's drowning, everything's going wrong, and for three days, he refuses to pray. This is a prophet, right? This is like the pastor. The, when the pastor doesn't want to pray, things are bad. 
He didn't want to pray. For three days, he stubbornly just like, oh, fish, right? I don't know what he's saying. I, he's not singing children's songs. But something happens the moment he starts to pray where there is this reminder of who God is. And when he starts to pray, Scripture starts pouring out of him. He didn't have his reference Bible there. He just quoted eight scriptures in Psalms. Something started to happen where God started to remind him, like, even in your darkest hour, even in the hardest moment, even in the belly of the whale, I'm still here and I'm still calling you back to me. And as I was praying this morning, I just wondered if there's somebody in this room today who's there. Like, if you were really honest, you're right now. You don't have a story of being in the belly of the whale in the past. You're there right now. And you're refusing to pray and you're refusing to look to God and you're trying to figure out your own way out and you keep digging yourself into a deeper hole. I want you to know that today salvation is available just like it was for Jonah. The grace of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God chases us down even when we run forever. No matter how many times we turn our back, no matter how many hard things we do, no matter how many times we run, the beauty of our Savior is that he keeps pursuing us. And he's been chasing you from the moment that you were born and saying to you, come back home. So the prayer team is going to be here at each of these stations, and if you want to pray, my prayer today is that somebody would have the courage to say, today I'm choosing Jesus. Today I'm giving my life up as a living sacrifice and I'm saying whatever's ahead, I'm going to go Jesus' way. I want to walk with him. And so Heavenly Father, I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would do the work that I can't do. I pray that you would stir our hearts, that as we reflect, and as we ask you to search our hearts, that you would guide us and direct us and lead us. And I pray that you would give us the courage to pray in the middle of the whale. It's in Jesus' name we pray.